Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and may I welcome you once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available, nine volumes, at Amazon in paperback and ebook format. And for you audiophiles, one through eight, and very soon, volume nine, so keep your eyes open for that, at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. And without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you today? What's going on, and Happy New Year again. Yes, Happy New Year 2023. Yeah, man, and welcome to Season 5 of Podcast Terror in the Woods. (laughs) Who would have thunk it? (laughs) Who would have thunk it, Mervis? (laughs) (laughs) Not in a million years would I have thought we have this many listeners and we'd be starting Season 5. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting indeed. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know what's cool, Kev? I get a lot of feedback from people that I talk to, and all of you folks out there who I've spoken to, uh, and you know who you are, you are greatly appreciated by my brother and I, and uh, on and on the march goes. Absolutely. And, Kev, I have to tell you something. A uh, shout-out to Dave out in Oregon, David R. You know who you are, Dave. Uh, we had a conversation yesterday, and uh, he's attempting to get his buddy where the uh, Bigfoot encounter began with his buddy, Kelly. Uh, this is a sighting, encounter, evidential find by... Several different groups of people started out with an individual in Oregon over several decades, all in the same area. Wow. So just adding to the uh, the mystery, uh, or maybe even removing the veil from some of the mystery about how these creatures live and where they live, because apparently... Uh, this area of Oregon, if you talk about a time period of, say, 30 years, multiple sightings and encounters, uh, these creatures are hanging around in that area, and they're not going anywhere. Nope, they're there. And uh, very, very interesting. Uh, I find Dave to be an extremely credible individual. Uh, 
uh, and he's working on hooking me up with his friend Kelly because he said it be, it would be better if you heard from Kelly firsthand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Dave did a, a very good job. Who am I to argue uh, with what had happened to Kelly initially in 1985, I believe, uh, and then carrying it forward. Dave, by the way, is a logger. So once again, he sent me. Did you get the shots I I sent to you from Dave, Kev? They didn't come across in the email. Huh. Yeah. All right, I'm going to try that again later. Yeah. Uh, yet again, uh, Dave sent out some photographs of the landing site in the early morning hours with the lights lit, uh, the area where the sighting had occurred. Uh, he found uh, driving a logging truck out of the area. Now, by the way, I haven't put this story together yet. It's going to require some more extensive uh, interviewing and fact-finding. Uh, it will go into Volume 10, which I'm working on. This area was, I believe, 20 miles, 20 miles from the nearest road mm. to get into the area they were logging this sale. And uh, you just think about that for a minute, folks. 20 miles off the beaten track just to get where these guys were working. Uh, you want to talk about some inaccessible prop, uh, property and a good place to hide. Uh, I'd say you hit the nail on the head at the 20-mile marker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a safe bet. Now, listen, I'll just tell you one thing that really struck me about what Dave was telling me. One of the... Uh, evidential finds that he had amongst all these other things, but just to bring it into the neighborhood, so to speak. He was driving a, a log truck out of the site uh, one day and noticed a huge pile of poop right in the middle of this dirt road, and he recognized that it hadn't been there when he came in. I mean, we're talking a bucket load of <laughs> large poop. And so he stops the truck and gets out to examine it. And, like, how many people get out to look at a pile? You know what I mean? <laughs> take a but, sniff? Yeah, take a little whiff. Maybe <laughs> dick me finger in it, see what it oh, tastes like. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's pudding pie. This is a morning show. Well, yeah, maybe so, it's not what better show. time to eat than the morning? <laughs> <laughs> So he notices in this pile, get this, a complete pack rat Ooh. uneaten. Undigested or whatever, like swallowed Undigested. whole? Undigested. Like eating the damn thing like an hors d'oeuvre down the hatch. <laughs> oh, my God. It wasn't wrapped in like a crescent roll or something. No, it? no, no, uh... You know, uh, type yeah, crescent for all <laughs> the little doughboy, that little guy. But you know, it got me thinking, Kev. You know, when I'm down by the shore, and like for instance, I'm, if I'm watching the herons or even the gulls, you know, those buggers will snatch a complete fish, tip their head up, and down the throat it goes. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the pelicans not- out here on the coast, too. They're they're it's amazing, you know, and some of the lazy pelicans come over to the fishing pier 
and they just hang out waiting for handouts. And, you know, somebody catches a fish that's not something you want to keep. They just chuck it in the air to the pelican, and they just grab it and put their head up. And the big fish, you know, yeah. 12 yep. inches long, gone. Down the hatch. Yeah. So, you know, you got to think, uh, this Bigfoot uh, just took this rat and just put it down the hatch like sustenance. Yeah, maybe it was like a truth or dare with a couple of Bigfoots. Hey, I, I bet you can't swallow <laughs> this this rat whole <laughs> without chewing it. Oh, yeah? What, what's in it? For, what, you know, what do you got that you're going to bet me? I'll tell you what. I'll give you a haircut and a shave. I got half of this lager left over from yesterday. <laughs> you could have his left leg. Maybe a roll of toilet paper so you don't have to stank. <laughs> we got to do an episode on that. What do Bigfoot's wager in their truth or dare yeah. bets? <laughs> yeah. I'll wager you this. Yeah, they got rocks. They're sitting around a slab of granite, and they're putting piles of rocks down as they're playing. Uh, ah, you know, they say we do that for you guys, you know, chasing us, trading marbles, <laughs> trading rocks. Come on. Yeah, they play pickup sticks with We're trees. We're using Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean... I'm looking forward to this. I love talking to these guys. I got some really nice accounts. Uh, look, folks, all of the accounts are, are, are cool to me. But uh, there's some really incredible stuff going into Volume 10. Uh, and, of course, Dave's account, once I get it put together, uh, will go in there uh, as well. I look forward to it. Uh, but Kev, let's slide into I our was show. Say, are you ready to get some creep on? Yeah, yeah, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I got my werewolf mask on while I'm talking there to you. There you go. Well, we are moving <laughs> on to cryptids in the news and other oddities. Okay. And today, it's been a little while since we got the freaky deaky on, and today we're going to get on the freaky deaky. <laughs> And what better place to get freaky than to go to Japan, Japanese legends. Wow, that's unusual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This one is a freak show, Bill. (laughs) Okay. So this creature is called Gasha Dokoro. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So Gasha Dokoro. Uh Uh-huh. Not to be confused with Godzilla. (laughs) But Gasha Decoro is a spirit that takes the form of a giant skeleton Ugh. made from the skulls of people who died out in the outdoors, typically warriors. Uh-huh. So kind of fallen warriors, but it could be, you know, people that suffered famine and anyone that died like a miserable death in the outdoors, the legend goes. Huh. And the, so the skeleton's made of skulls. It can be as tall as 10 meters. Okay, Holy 30 cow. feet tall. Wow. Now, there are tales of them, you know, being 10 feet tall and stuff like that. But, and only the eyes protrude from the, you know, from the skeleton matter. And some sources describe the eyes as burning yellow or bright green. Ugh. Yeah. 
Can you imagine being having this thing uh, visualized in, in itself in the woods or something? No, no. no. So, <laughs> no. Speaking of visualizing, so, you know, close your eyes and think about this. That this Gasha de Coro, it wanders around in the middle of the night, typically around 2 a.m., and when it approaches, it's said to make a chattering sound with its teeth. Uh, uh, you want to try that in a microphone, Kev? <laughs> Excellent job. <laughs> I happen to have a Gasha Decoro here <laughs> yeah. next to me. He's not quite as tall, otherwise, he wouldn't fit into the recording. <laughs> Hey, Gasha Takoro, give me another one of those cool teeth chatters. <laughs> so what do, what do you think uh, Gasha Takoro does while he's wandering around at 2 a.m. when he sees a human? Well, I'd say he's trying to uh, scare the bejesus out of it. Yeah, that that's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> but they're known as biting, for biting the head off of a human. And wow. Now, biting the head off, are they yes. finding, like, bodies around, beheaded? Uh, you know, this is the, the legend, okay? Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. You know, it's pretty, uh, pretty wild stuff. So let's talk a little bit about, a little bit more about that. So the, the name, Gasha, Gasha de Coro, it comes from uh, that sound that the teeth make when, when uh, uh, clapping together. <laughs> Which the Japanese describe as a gachi gachi sound. Gachi gachi. Gachi gachi. <laughs> Sorry, Japanese folks out there. We are we are not uh not not making fun of you in any way. But they say the legend says that they're not always noisy when they approach. Uh-huh. Um sometimes the Gasha Dokoro will silently creep up to catch their victims. Either biting off their head or crushing them between their arms and hands. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Teeth chattering and all with the eyes bulging out of the yeah. head. Yeah. So here we get the creep on a little bit more. So the, the, where these, these creatures originate is believed to be, as I mentioned a little bit, soldiers whose bodies rot in the fields. Victims of famine who die uh, in the wilderness, and basically anyone who dies in the outdoors who, who does not receive any type of proper, uh, you know, funerary rites or burial. So therefore, the belief is that you know, unable to move on to the other side, so to speak, their souls are reborn as ghosts, longing eternally for what they once had. And you become a uh, ten meter tall skeleton. Well, you, know, you, you possess the uh, these skeletons. I don't know if it's a team effort or not. You know. <laughs> um, obviously, it is a team effort with the skeletons. I don't know if there's more than one soul in there. There's no mention of that. But it's basically it's interesting. A lot of the origin is believed to be that these people die with tremendous anger and tremendous pain in their hearts, uh-huh. and that that energy. Uh, remains on in their bones uh, even after the flesh has rotted away from the bones. 
Wow. And get this, as their bodies decay, the Japanese believe that their anger actually ferments into a grudge against the living, which twists these creatures into a supernatural force. Wow. Yeah. Incredible, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, you know, the, and they say that these bones of sometimes hundreds of victims get together into one mass. They form this humongous skeletal monster that they call the Gasha Takoro. Man, alive. Yeah. And how far back does this uh, uh, purported Gasha Takoro go in... in uh in uh, the historicity of uh, Japan. The 10th century. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, how some of this stuff lingers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. And I would imagine that nobody survives an attack from the Gasha Decoro at 2 a.m. Yeah, in the not morning. That, not that kind of a thing. <laughs> Merely a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't even say that if your head was taken yeah, off. So, yeah, and they say, so too large and powerful and not flesh-based, so, you know, not it's not possible to kill them. They say that the Gasha de Coro maintain their existence until the energy surrounding their anger and malice that's been stored up is completely burnt out. Wow. Right. You remember in the old Jason and the Argonauts movie when he was fighting with those skeletons? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was freaky, boy. Yeah, that's kind of you know, like losing a limb and stuff like that and still going, you know, right? Yeah, they just kept coming out. Remember that? Exactly. And like, how do you kill a skeleton? You know, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no flesh. Oh, that was creepy, yeah. boy. Yeah, they got that in the modern day, too. I know you haven't seen it, but... In the Game of Thrones series with the White Walkers, which are definitely freaky deaky. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, man. Gasha decoro. And the only way, or or one of the only ways that's known to ward off an attack are what are called or wearing what are called Shinto charms. So these are these little Japanese charms you can buy and they're they're in like a little uh, sachet kind of most of the time on a little leather cord that you wear around your neck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're at a party and you see somebody with one of these Shinto charms, I wouldn't make fun of it, you know. Yeah, I'd tell them to get out of my house. I want to ask them where they got it. <laughs> Just in case, you know, you happen to run into <laughs> a 10-meter tall Gosh, you decoro oh, on the way home to your, or on the way walking back to your car. <laughs> you know, we've mentioned this before, but when people think about Japan, uh, you don't think about wilderness, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when you think about Bigfoot and, and everything else in the United States. If you come from a very urban area, uh, people have very limited uh, or short-sighted thinking about what else is out there outside of your uh, townhome in Smithtown. Yeah. You know, there is a lot of real estate out there where a lot of strange and freaky-deaky things are occurring uh, on a daily basis that you have no idea of. 100%. So, you know, unless you engage people in conversations, which I do on a regular basis, uh, opening up the door to gathering information, 
uh, you're not going to know anything about what's going on out there. You know, all you know is your little four-walled room and uh, what's going on in your life. You know, right. When a guy, when a guy like Dave sends me out pictures of uh, the the work area, you look into the photograph, and there is nothing as far as you can see but mountains, trees, and soil. (laughs) And you know, when you think about that type, in the photograph, you could be looking forty miles away on a clear day. Right. There ain't nothing there. Right. You know, uh, so. Folks, when we're talking about these types of creatures and strange oddities and whatnot, uh, there is stuff going on there, the likes of which you have no idea. (laughs) So I'm not in disagreement with uh, any of these people as far as what they see and do. Now, the question is, where did it come from? What is its origin? You know, Agasha Decoro... I mean, if this has legitimacy to it and people haven't counted it or seen it, uh, where did this thing come from? How does it exist? Uh, what is supporting its activity? And, Kev, you know I have definite opinions about that. It doesn't come from a happy place. Yeah. No, no, no. As it's, you know, these twisted, tortured souls of these uh, people that died a horrible death. Yeah. 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 So so and you know, back to the Shinto charm. So if you get your hands on one when you're at that party, when you see other people with them, you might want to grab it because when you're walking back to your car in the dark, and all of a sudden you hear <laughs> that might not be your friend shivering behind you. Hey, it's cold out here. Hey. What do you? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean, Louis? It's eighty-five. Holy giant skeletons, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it, Bill. Freaky deaky, man. So what what kind of account do you have for us this week? Although, you know, you you did give us some teasers of a future account at the start of the podcast. This account that I'm going to read to you guys is uh, really unusual, but it just shows you the high strangeness involved with everything regarding Bigfoot and, frankly, everything that we do and that we talk about. This rather unusual story was told to me by a fellow named Hutch Pensky, a resident of West Virginia, and this is what Hutch had to say. At that time, in 1978, my partner in crime and I were setting up our still operation in the area of Braxton County, West Virginia. We were moonshiners, which of course was and still is illegal in the United States. We had a lot of orders to fill for our peach and apple blend of shine. And so we were once again moving into the hills to find a suitable site for us still to be set up. Our method was to somewhat recycle locations where we had been in the past. And on this particular day, we were once again moving into the hills to find a suitable site. I doubled up on that sentence, so hold hold with me, folks. Uh, On this particular day, we moved our operation down into a hollow 
where we had been in 1976. This was a fairly deep ravine with a creek running through the middle of it, which is needed for any still operation. Without the water, you've got no liquor. We set four 50-gallon drums in place at the site, and having filled them with the mash and water, we left the site to allow them to ferment, with our plan being to return later in the week. As it turned out, we had a hell of a storm that week, which had come up from Florida and lingered over the state for several days. This just so happened to be the same time we had planned for the mash to be ready for processing. By the time the rain had let up, we were several days later than we had planned to fire up the still in order to make the shine. It was on a Thursday morning, as it was still drizzling, that we were bringing all the components for the still down into the hollow. Everything in the area was soaking wet, and the ground was so saturated with water that our boots were sinking into the forest floor wherever we stepped. As we made our way down, we could see from our now elevated position that the creek had grown in size to the point where it now looked like a small river, reaching a point where it was now only feet away from our mash drums, whereas we had left them some 30 feet away from the creek days earlier. Having made our way down to the bottom, the first thing that caught our attention was that of the lid having been removed from one of the drums. And as we looked into it, about half of the mash was gone, which represented about 25 gallons of fermented mash. I had to, it had to have just happened because up until the night before, there was so much rain coming down that if the lid had been removed, it would have been overflowing and not half empty. But that wasn't the real kicker. And what I'm about to say to you was the reason for my contacting you in the first place. All around the drum, as well as leading up to it from the hollow and going away from it, were footprints. Large footprints from a booger, which is what you folks call a Bigfoot. As best as we could tell, there seemed to be at least two, if not three sets having been made. We could see where they entered the site with the tracks, although overlapping each other, made in a straight line, which is the way they walk. And those which they left when leaving the site being completely random and all over the place. There were also many areas where it appeared that the boogers were actually laying on the ground in the mud, either by choice or having fallen. My friend Ernie said to me, these damn boogers were drunk out of their minds over here. They ate up 25 gallons of fermented mash and were falling down drunk. Ernie, to me, was completely right in what he had said. Even an animal would not lay down to rest in thick mud unless it was a hog. There were full-body impressions in the mud where they had either fallen down drunk or laid down in a drunken stupor. 
and a trail of prints leaving the site covered an area of about 15 feet in width, appearing like a group of drunken sailors had marched out of here arm and arm. Incredible. It was the craziest thing that we had ever seen in all of our days shining. Now, all of the area's shiners, as well as damn near everybody else, has heard the tale of the Braxton County monster, as well as others having seen many boogers through the years. But this was the first time that any of us had actually seen some type of evidence for ourselves regarding their existence. There was no doubt about the prints that we had seen. They were fresh, more than likely having been made that night. If they had been made on the previous day, I'm convinced they would have been washed away by the creek rising and the heavy rain. The smallest of the prints was about 15 inches, and the largest ones being over 20. And the impressions which have been made from a body on the ground were enormous. They looked like a thousand-pound hog had been wallowing around in the mud. What do you make of that, Kev? That is wild. Pretty weird, huh? I mean, what do you... I'm, I'm loving the concept of the, the visualization of these Bigfoot drinking 25 gallons of moonshine. I mean, it, well, you know, obviously it wasn't shine yet. I know, but, but that, it's, it's hard not to laugh about them drinking the mash, you know. Yeah, I mean, but listen, yeah. you could, if you didn't mind slopping around and putting your head in a bucket like you were bobbing for apples and slugging it down, uh, you know, if you put away five gallons of that stuff, you know, you're lucky you'd be alive, I think, you know. They, I mean, they could be rolling around in mud just to get their stank on. <laughs> 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 but pretty bizarre, man. How the it's crazy. The the thing is pulled off the bucket and mashed the lid, and uh, I think it was pretty. Uh, I don't think it was being presumptive on the guy's part that it had to have happened earlier uh, uh, or later in the morning, because, like he said, if the lid was pulled off the day before, uh, it would have been overflowing with more water going into this drum. More water going in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I mean it's. Uh, I uh, I like I love the account because I can visualize you know this holler up there in West Virginia with these shiners moving the stuff around and you know it's uh, I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, and <laughs> and you talk about no witnesses. You yeah. know the whole nature of their operation is to be stealthy, right? Exactly. So exactly. What, no, li no living witnesses. Yeah, right. Nobody <laughs> living anyhow. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while. Where'd he go? Hey, none of you revenuers need to come around these parts. <laughs> I love that stuff, man. You ain't welcome here, you revenuers. <laughs> If you go back to your squad car, you'll notice it's burning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you smell something burning, that's your car. <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, uh, just incredible, man. Uh, what are you to say about that? You know, uh, if the story is true, 
what else could have happened there? Well, of course, you know, not of course, but uh, skeptics will say, oh, it could be some bears. You know. Yeah, yeah, dancing, but, uh, dancing bears. <laughs> <laughs> we do know bears like some apple moonshine. Yeah, the bears were leaving, you know, uh, in a chorus line, high-stepping, singing, <laughs> <laughs> New York, New York. They were some of those Disney bears. Start <laughs> spreading the news. Da, 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 da. We're leaving today. Come on, Yogi. <laughs> keep step. <laughs> You're off the beat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, anything can happen in these really rural areas. And like you said, by design, where they're making moonshine, it is a rural area. You know, you don't want anybody walking by or... Coming by even close enough to smell it cooking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 1970, what, eight? Yeah. So that that's quite a while ago, my friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and it was interesting how he had said that they recycle their spots. They they kind of hit a spot and then they let, let it set a while before they right. go back to it again, you know. Got to be on the move. Yeah, they don't want people to think they're getting too cozy uh, in any particular area should somebody run across it, you know. Got to stay away from those G-men. <laughs> yeah, G-men, government. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, man. Pretty wild. Uh, that is a cool account. Yeah. Uh, I thought the folks would... Well, look, I like all of these accounts. Hey, you had me at Hollow in West Virginia, and then, you know, the Shiners put it over the top. Yeah, and I'm sorry about doubling up on that sentence in the beginning, but I wear progressive lenses, Kev, you know? And that means you have to repeat yourself? Yeah, you have to, re <laughs> you have to read everything twice. I was wondering what that progressive meant. <laughs> no, but it's weird because if I have something laying on the desk on an angle, which I do here, if I tip my head up for a minute or something and I bring it back down, you know, you have to get that focal point with the progressive lenses to read, you know? Yeah. And uh, I looked up for a second just briefly and went back down, and the area where I had been reading was in that blurry zone, ah. and I wound up reading it again. So my apologies, right. folks. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> so what All do we right, have? You ready, for some, you ready for some listener mail? I'm ready for it. We got some good ones. Okay. So this first one comes from Sydney. From Louisiana. <laughs> and I'll say, although the listeners won't appreciate this as much as I did, uh, Sydney, I, all I can say is I absolutely love your email address. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, uh, it is pretty creepy. <laughs> Loving it. So the subject of Sydney's email is squirrels. Huh. And this is tied to you, Bill, talking about, uh, you know, your contraptions on the do-it-yourself do it portion of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods of uh, keeping the squirrels off your bird feeder. Uh -huh. And so, so he writes, hey, WJ, a little advice from the dirty south <laughs> round Louisiana way. <laughs> Unlike birds, squirrels are mammals and have taste buds. Birds do not have taste buds. So mix a generous amount of white pepper into your bird seed. The squirrels will leave it alone, and the birds will eat it up. 
That's a little bit of Cajun know-how coming through. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, no, I thought that was a very wise uh, exegesis of how to keep squirrels off your feeder. Keep those big, fat squirrels off of my feeder. Now, I wonder, and Sydney, you're listening, I'm sure you are. Uh, get back to me on this. Uh, I wonder if you have seen squirrels react uh, having... Uh, eaten. Uh, so you think they're giving like a little squirrel sneeze? Something, something must go <laughs> on, or maybe it just irritates him. You know what I mean, Kev? Then all of a sudden, the squirrel starts sneezing so hard he falls off of the bird feeder. Yeah, and then they start running around the yard, screaming and hollering. He whips out a little nasal spray from his pouch. And <laughs> I need some water. I need some water. <laughs> dives in the bird bath. He's blowing <laughs> bubbles out of his nose. All right. Well, Sydney, that's a good tip. We're gonna have to try it out. Yeah, I wish we could uh, report uh, Sydney's uh, email, but we can't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the e- All right. And, oh, go ahead. No, go I was going to say the email address, not the email. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one comes from Chad. Chad says the subject is the squonk. Mm. S-Q-U-O-N-K. Okay. And he says, hello, KJ and WJ. My wife and I are huge fans of the podcast. We listen every weekend to get our fill of everything cryptid. I've even listened to it in the shower, which can be a little shocking. (laughs) (laughs) We also like how there's no profanity or bad subject matter. So thank you for that. I don't know if I can qualify uh, for not having bad subject matter. Maybe you mean something else. Yeah, like Chad's email. <laughs> it was, it is, so I wanted to share a story about the squonk. Okay. It is a cryptid that's covered in the song Squonk by my favorite band, Genesis, from their A Trick of the Tail album. So, Bill, have you heard this song? I got to say no. I mean, I might have heard I it. Mean, I, yeah, I have to go and uh, download it and listen to it to see if it's something I heard of and I didn't know it was about a cryptid. But basically, Chad writes that the song recounts the legend of the squonk, which is captured by a hunter to only find out that it dissolved into a pool of tears. Hmm. It's quite a fun song. The subject matter of Squonk came from the book Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods with a few desert and mountain beasts by William Thomas Cox. Written in 1910, the book of folklore covers different cryptids which, with each animal having an illustration done to show its peculiar per, particularities. Mm. Easy for me to say. Mm-hmm. I don't even have progressive lenses. <laughs> progressive ears. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) The squonk, according to the book, roams the hemlock forests of Pennsylvania. It's a shy creature that weeps because of its grotesque appearance. If the squonk is captured, it will continue to cry until it dissolves into a pool of tears. Hmm. Yeah, and he says, thank you for reading this long email, and can I come in and use your phone? (laughs) Sure, Chad. It will be a local call, I promise. (laughs) Sure, you can come in, but you can never leave. (laughs) I'd just like to use your phone. (laughs) Be like, welcome to the Hotel California. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
All and right, Kev, so that's pretty cool. Kev, dip back into that a second. What was the name of that book from 1910? Uh, Can you pull it up or no? With? Um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but... No, 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 no. Hang on yeah. here. The Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods <laughs> with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts huh. by William Thomas Cox. It's a very long title. Yeah, we'll have to check into that. Yeah. See, uh... And, of course, I'll love it because it's 1910. Anything more than 100 years old, I'm all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to see what they have uh, on the menu. Fearsome beasts of the underwoods or whatever. <laughs> 100%, yeah. All right, our next email comes in from Joshua. Okay. And uh, speaking of old, so the subject got me because it says, interesting old newspaper clipping. Mm-hmm. Recently, I came across what appears to be a newspaper clipping from the late 60s. It's about a giant sloth sighting in northwest Indiana. Mm. But to me, the description sounds more like a big Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be happy to email you a scan of the article if you're interested. So, Joshua, definitely um, email us a copy of the scan of the article. Because I went, after reading your email, and I went to trusty Google and the interweb. And, you know, the nearest thing I could find is they have some project out at the University of Indiana from years back where they've been constructing a replica of a giant sloth, an ancient giant sloth. Um, But I couldn't find this news article, which usually I'm pretty good at digging them up. So please uh, throw it over yonder. Uh, What university was constructing that, Kev? I think it's uh, University of Indiana. Yeah, and I doubt if they constructed it. Okay, look, you might want to put it in a tree for, you know, uh, to give it realism, you know. But uh, I tend not to think so. If you put in time into that project, it would be indoors. Oh, no, no, yeah. And this was mo- more modern than that. Okay, yeah. Where they were building it. Oh, but that's I'm true. I'm just saying, that's the only thing I could come across. Yeah, and let's face it, folks. Uh, you may be new to this subject or new to the podcast, but... Uh, to me, uh, I know, based on what I've been told, uh, Bigfoot regularly goes into the trees. Uh, yeah. h- how regularly, we don't know. But we had the uh, uh, a couple of accounts where they were seen picking through nests, uh, grabbing what appeared to be eggs or chicks or hatchlings. Yeah. Uh, so, you know... Uh, who knows? Maybe they go into uh, trees also, like you know, a hunter would go into a tree stand. Yeah, exactly. you know, to do a little sniping on something, you know, or get a better yep. look. Uh, yep. You know, I would imagine they would use trees the same way a human would, to, for an advantage of some kind. Uh, uh, you know, visually or or for any other uh, situation you could think of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but. Interesting. Yeah, we'll check into that. Uh, uh, you asked him to send you back the link again? Well, just now I asked him to send the picture. Oh, just, I didn't email him back. Okay, good, yeah. If you want to email him back, that's that's fine with me. Yeah, I'm hoping he's listening to and that he'll just uh, get on board with it and uh, yeah. send it over. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, our last email comes from Ken from Oregon. And this is, I'm guessing this is the same Ken, Bill. 
Um, maybe, I don't know. He says, hello, WJ. I hope you are well. Just wanted to send you my very best wishes for the new year. You've been in my prayers and will continue to be. Life stinks sometimes, but we have an incredible father who looks out for us and always walks right there with us, even through the darkest valleys and especially in those darkest valleys. Mm. I can't wait to hear what awesome stories and news of the hairy man that you and Kevin will bring this year. Mm -hmm. Be well, my friends. Ken, and he spells it, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, life stinks at times, especially if you're a hairy man. Exactly. And you're rolling around in the mud in the holler after drinking 25 gallons of mash with your buddies. Woo-wee! <laughs> You'd definitely be getting a stank on it. It'll probably take you a weekend to shake that one off. Exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, well, that's it, Bill. Good podcast, and thank you, folks. Welcome to Season 5. Hard to believe for me. And, uh, you know, thank you for the wonderful five-star reviews. If you haven't left us one lately, or if you've never left us one, please go into your favorite podcast player and give us a five-star review. And uh, it's really important to us because it's virtually the only way we have to attract new listeners to the podcast. So thank you so much. And maybe, you know, if you're not afraid, you might want to tell a couple of your friends about the podcast if you haven't already. (laughs) That's right, folks. And by (laughs) the way, you should find yourself wandering around the holla in Braxton, West Virginia. You better remember one thing, my friend. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>